Hey, Mo, what's up? Not much. Just, you know, working, having a, a drinking some coffee and very excited to sit down and chat with you today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So, so Mo, I know you from, you know, the most important tech event that ever happened. Of course, the System76 Superfan, I think it was Superfan 2, was it 2? I believe it was Superfan 2, wasn't it? Yes, it was... It has had years-long implications for everybody involved, right? Oh yeah, uh, I feel like uh, I feel like we've we've all stayed in touch in in our various ways. I know you had it was you had Jay Jay on a while back, right? Um, I had Carl and oh, see now someone's gonna get mad that I don't remember. <laughs> Have not had Jay on yet. Okay. Hope too soon. Uh, I yeah. oh I had him on. That's what it was. I That's had him on yeah. for the Electromaker podcast. I was like, I knew I knew one awesome. of us interviewed him. Yeah, and uh, you know, I just I, I feel like I follow most people, um, you know, on on social media and have kind of kept up with their various endeavors. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we have kept up and uh, you know that I had the opportunity to go uh, check out System seventy six back then. Yeah. So you are obviously Mitchell Mo Long, uh, but who the hell is that? <laughs> Uh, so, you know, sometimes I ask myself the same question. Uh, I am a writer and editor in the tech space, which is really fun, especially when I go to various conferences or conventions or events like, uh, the super fan event, because oftentimes, you know, people are talking about their programming and then they ask me, so, you know, what language do you use? And I'm just like, English. Uh, it's my little <laughs> joke I like to make. Dad joke right there. Uh, there you go. And it kind of came about in a weird way. I graduated university with an English degree and a creative writing minor. And I was working a sales job and I was writing about film as a film critic for examiner.com. And then I had always just loved technology and kind of getting hands on with various projects. And a lot of that just came from either me needing something and kind of building it myself or just kind of innate curiosity. And I discovered that I could make a career writing about tech. So I kind of fused the stuff I was doing on the side, like, you know, building Linux PCs with being able to write very clear articles and kind of break down these complex topics and provide it for an audience. Awesome. So this is actually a milestone podcast. This is the first one I have ever done where we are 100% English degree holders. Whoa. Okay. That is a huge milestone. And I think we should celebrate that because I think it's a really underappreciated degree. I think it is. Yeah. My specialty was not writing. It was a medieval lit uh, is actually the name of my degree. Although that's a long story. But basically, if you start naming databases Chaucer, you know, it was me. (laughs) <laughs> so what was, and I'm curious if you, if you had the same experience I did, but what was kind of the reaction uh, when you told people that you were majoring in English? Uh, when I was going to school or when I got out and started uh, doing development? Both. Uh, when I was going to school, it was, oh, so you're going to be a school teacher, which in fact was my plan. <laughs> so I can't really complain too much. When I got out, you know, I, uh, I didn't talk about it initially starting out. I tried to duck it because you always had to, you know, my first dev job was in school. I had a part-time job writing the horrible things known as Java applets. And people who've listened to Coda Radio in the past have heard this story before. 
Um, and one of the keys was I very deftly answered the, the question the way the HR lady phrased it. Oh, and you have a degree, right? I knew what she meant was you have an IT degree, but the way she phrased the question was incorrect, which I definitely took advantage of. <laughs> well, you had a degree. Oh, that's I funny. answer truthfully, right? Or you're go, you're finishing because I got the job in my junior year, so it's like you're on, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. So. And I so interestingly, I had the same experience. Whenever I told anyone that I was majoring in English, it, the response was always, "Oh, so you want to be a teacher?" And I actually yeah. did not want to be a teacher. I, yeah, I have I, a lot um, of respect for teachers, but I, I think that's uh, I do not think that I would be great in a in a classroom setting as a as a teacher. I don't know. I've heard your Cartman impression. I think you could engage <laughs> the kids. Hey guys, today we're gonna open our school books, okay? It's amazing. <laughs> All right, so you and I both took a very strange road to get here. Um, you're writing at Electromaker now, right? Yes. Uh, I started with them back in, I want to say 2017, uh, just when it was uh, getting started. It was 2017 or 2018. Uh, and I initially began as just writing one article a week and then was brought on full time, which has been a lot of fun really getting to not only witness the site's growth, but kind of be a part of that growth. Now, for I, I have a feeling the audience of the show, there's a like a large subset of them read Electromaker, but for those who don't, can you just quickly, you know, five second elevator pitch? Absolutely, it is a website and community for makers and DIYers. So there are a lot of different Raspberry Pi, Arduino, three D printing articles, and so I write for the staff blog. And so I read anything from tutorials. My, one of my re recent pieces was an article on, uh, <laughs> appropriately enough, how to set up a Raspberry Pi I as saw a podcast recording yeah. device, uh, because it actually just makes a phenomenal little podcast recording station. I even was able to run it off of a power bank for a portable setup. Um, I write anything from that to these roundups of the best resin 3D printers that you can buy, things like that. And then we also have a user-generated content section. So anyone who wants to can go make an Electromaker account and share their latest project. We also have a number of other things, including a YouTube news show that comes out every week. And we have forums and we have a shop where you can go and buy kits, uh, because oftentimes kind of creating your own maker project is fun, but it can be a little daunting if you're just starting out. So this is kind of a prepackaged kit that you can buy and build like a lightsaber or a disco helmet or a mood lamp or something like that. A lightsaber. Hmm. Yeah, there is a lightsaber kit. I have so many questions on that, but I feel like it would derail us. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're talking maker, we're talking Arduino, Raspberry Pi, all of the above. Yes, it's okay. it's very wide ranging. I tend to stick to a lot of the single board computers. Uh, I love my Raspberry Pi, but I also try to show love to some of those kind of lesser known, but still really cool single board computers like the Ojoid XU4 and, and things like that. BeagleBone. Yes. I love the BeagleBone. Yes. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> my friends out in Texas. 
so when you say user generated content, or I'm sorry, user, what was it, user projects you said? Yeah. So those are just kind of community members who sign up for an account and upload projects. Okay. So if a listener has like, I guess, I don't know, an, an Arduino powered Darth Maul lightsaber they made, not that I'm harping on the lightsaber thing, uh, they could theoretically share it to the Electromaker community. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the nice part about that is a lot of people, a lot of makers have YouTube channels maybe, uh, and they don't necessarily have, some of them don't have websites. Uh, sure. And this is a uh, you know great platform. We have a ton of followers. We get uh, a lot of paid views every single month. Um, and you can even share something you've written on your own blog and just kind of get more uh, eyes on it that way. Makes a ton of sense. And it- just out of curiosity, so are, I'm, I know I already know the answer to my question, but what projects have you made? Oh, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, so I, I mentioned that Raspberry Pi podcast recording station. Mm-hmm. I've kind of made it a mission to basically try out a lot of these lesser known Raspberry Pi distros. So recently mm-hmm. I got started with a Twister OS, which is a version of Raspberry Pi OS, formerly Raspbian, but it is skinned to look like Windows 10 as well as Mac OS. And you can easily toggle between the two. Uh, I really love just spinning up these little single board computer servers. Uh, Like I have a Raspberry Pi Plex server that I made and I ended up giving that to my uncle. Um, uh, I've made a number of little music streaming devices. Uh, I'm huge into retro gaming, so I, I tend to do a lot of uh, those and try out like pretty much any retro gaming distro there is. Nice. Uh, and I, I like doing really simple stuff with with Arduino with my Arduino as well, um, because I tend to find you know as soon as I build one thing with it, I tend to dismantle that and do something else. That's interesting. You mentioned the retro gaming, a project I've been. Uh, you know, in the design phase for over a year on is building in, have you seen this in Maker Magazine? You can build a arcade cabinet out of a, uh, I think it, think it was a Raspberry Pi. Maybe it was an Arduino. Um, I mean, theoretically, you could do it out of either. But And they actually had like emulated it down to perform the same way. I don't know if you remember this, and we might be dating ourselves, but the old X-Men uh, cabinets. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and all the Gen Z people here are like, what the hell are they talking about? So arcade cabinets were big things that used to be in weird kind of shady places. You put coins in them. Yes, coins. Before you had every kid had a credit card. You put coins in it and you play games. And the more you sucked, the more it cost you. Kind of like life. (laughs) Uh, Life is like a giant arcade cabinet. Complete with sweaty, overweight, kind of surly guy in the back who runs the place. (laughs) Uh, so have you actually gotten started on that project yet? So, you know, being a software guy, I have completed the software and I have failed to even buy the, uh, you know, like the actual like wood, right. For the cabinet and all that kind of fun stuff. I have not done that yet. Yeah. So as, uh, as much as I'm into maker things, uh, I have a lot of respect for woodworking, but I, I I am, that's not my realm of expertise at all. Yeah, my father-in-law will quickly tell you it is not my strong suit. Uh, But I do love tactile things like that. Uh, And I think that's one of the reasons that I've I've gotten more into 3D printing. Oh, yeah. Is that it it is sort of physical and you're creating something, but 
I don't have to have the the fine motor skills that are involved with woodworking. So, what three D printer are you are you uh, rocking these days? I have a lot. Uh, I have uh, the main one that I'm using um, is the Elegoo Mars Pro. It's a resin printer, and I just I love that thing. Uh, I also have the Elegoo Saturn, which is their larger three D printer, uh, their larger resin printer, and then I have an Anet. ET4, which is pretty inexpensive and it just works really well and has a bunch of cool features on there like auto leveling. So, yeah, one of my least favorite things to do with 3D printing is leveling the bed. So, I love that thing. Yeah, it's not fun. I'm still, uh, again, another super fan too, uh, tie-in. I don't know if you remember the Lulzbots guys uh, who I know are not the same guys anymore. We're there. And uh, I bought a Lulzbot 2, or was it 2 or Taz? Taz five, I think was, I don't know. I have to go look at it like on the spot because food poisoning makes you do crazy things. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I remember you buying one there and, and they gave yeah. us uh, those little 3d printed um, keychains. Yes, they did. Yeah. For the event. Yeah. That was, that was kind of uh, and I, that's still the printer I use, but uh, just circling back, I think a lot of people won't be familiar with a resin printer versus a PLA printer. Oh, right. You know, that, that, that's a good point. Uh, so a resin printer, they're, they're kind of pros and cons. So uh, to resin versus like filament. Uh, and a resin printer, the way that works is you have this liquid and you put it in a vat and then the build plate lowers down into that and it kind of builds your model upside down and rises up out of the liquid as it is building it. And it uses uh, a light source, uh, usually UV, to cure the print. And then afterwards, uh, you have to do a lot of post-processing. Like you have to let it cure by either putting it in like a UV curing chamber or I, I just put it on the balcony and leave it out there. Uh, it, it's a cheap solution. Uh, so it's kind of messy. It's a little smelly, but I tend to find there's a lot more detail and there's better precision when compared to filament printers. Right. And generally you don't have, I think folks who have particularly lower end filament printers, kind of that liney, grainy sort of, I don't even know, texture. I know that might be the wrong way, but you know what I mean? That liney, uh, you know, until you paint it or like work on it, it, you could feel the grooves, right? Where the different layers begin and end. Exactly. It's uh, prints on budget filament printers are often kind of coarse, and then you have more of a smooth finish with even budget resin printers. Yeah. yeah. Have, so you, I, have you done much resin printing? None. Um, that did not pass the spouse approval test. <laughs> <laughs> it would be the smell that was the issue. Uh, so there, there's some pretty good little DIY fixes that you can do. Uh, one of my friends built this cool kind of hood that he then pipes the smell outside through a window. Nice. Uh, yeah, no, really ingenious uh, kind of thing. What I do is I just stick my resin printer in the second bathroom that I have and turn the exhaust fan on and close the door. That'll do it. That yeah. would do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm still living PLA land. Uh, but it's there are one of the issues I think with PLA printers is the quality of the filament you buy can have dramatic effects on how things come out. Oh, that is so true, and I think that's kind of an underappreciated part of three D printing is the 
filament that you use. People tend to focus so much on the printers themselves and not really yeah. think about the quality of the filament, but that absolutely is a major factor. Do you have a, a recommended filament? So I have been doing some interesting stuff with submerged and floating devices. Um, I have been using actually wood-based filament. And of course, it's all plastic too, but you know, it's like those hybrid, like in my case, it's bamboo. Uh, the reason is I have a very specific problem. I need something to be able to either be submerged and be watertight, but not get too hot or to float. But again, you know, not, not damage the board inside, right? There are lots of other ways to solve this problem, but frankly, they're not as pretty. And I'm trying to very quickly look up who's with filament. I, at the time, I bought it from the Lulzbot people, I believe. Um, but I don't remember the model number because I bought five cases of it. <laughs> so it's, it's just really, you know, and I've had it for approximately six months. I think it's this wood fill by, yes, it's by color fab. Yeah. So it's made out of recycled wood fibers. There's five different versions of it. Uh, they have different gauges and very important for what I'm doing, different water permeability traits and different uh, like flotation traits. I'm going to have to look up color fab because I'm not super familiar with them. And uh, that sounds really cool printing with uh, those those wood filaments because I've heard a lot about those, but the the ANET that I have is not compatible with that type of filament. They are significantly harder to work with, at least on my uh, my Taz five. I can tell you that. Yeah, and I'm guessing that, and uh, maybe I know Prusa's. Uh, I think most of, I think both of their models, the the Mini and the uh, MK3S also are compatible with that type of filament. But I think that's something yeah. you find more on higher end printers instead of budget ones. Yeah. I mean, I believe I, so I've used the Lowell's mini, the old one, and I have the last generation TAS five. Someone will correct me when I'm wrong here. I'm, I have never tried the wood filament on the minis and I don't think it would work or maybe, I guess it would work, but you know, be super crappy. <laughs> um, Although I'm sure I'm going to get a tweet that, uh, you know, it's not compatible with the TAS-5 either, idiot. You just somehow like are butchering your machine, which is okay because I'm in the market for another one. So, <laughs> uh, Subconsciously trying to break it so you can upgrade. <laughs> Listen, there, there, it, you know what? If history has taught us anything, there is no problem that you can't solve by throwing money at it. Yeah, this is this is probably true. <laughs> right. <laughs> So seriously, though, I would check out wood filament if you now. Do you have a filament printer, or do you just are you sticking in the resin land? No, I do. Uh, the the ET the okay. ANET ET four is a filament printer, mm, okay. and it works pretty well. I tend to find a lot of ANET printers uh, are pretty good, especially for the price point. Yeah, I got to check them out. I I might again. This is not an endorsement of any brand, but I might be. Looking at other brands, not for anything bad about Lulzbot, just because I've continually used the same line of printer over and over again, and I'm hitting a point where I need something. Like, I spent a lot of time in uh, Cura, and I don't want to. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Making an OBJ watertight is surprisingly challenging. 
just throw that out there. Yeah, I would imagine that's not necessarily a quick fix. <laughs> uh, it is if you write a beautiful Rust script. So, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, the, <laughs> the script took three months, but hey, it worked. You, you so cannot you... rush perfection. <laughs> Or even a 20% success rate. Yes, you can't risk that. So what else are you doing? You're writing, you're 3D printing. What else is going on? Uh, so I, uh, in addition to the the writing and the um, 3D printing, I, I wrote a couple of websites on the side. Uh, so one of the, both of those, uh, it's very easy to get kind of insight into uh, my, my life, whether it's like purchasing habits or what I'm watching and listening to. Um, so I write about film and, and what, and, uh, music and kind of entertainment at cupofmo.com. Uh, and so if you want to know what I've been watching recently, I basically review a lot of stuff I, I watch. Uh, and then I write about some kind of consumer tech things over at techuplife.com. Uh, cool. so that's kind of fun because I write these kind of buying guides and oftentimes I'm kind of trying to make a purchasing decision for myself. Like I'm like, Oh, you know what? I want to get a new TV. So then I do research and kind of turn that into an article. And then through writing about it, it kind of helps me decide what I want to get. Um, so I kind of, I kind of like both of those. And I, I think I mentioned this earlier, kind of, I run a podcast of my own, uh, but it is not tech related. It is about film. And that is the well, that in the show podcast. Notes. There you go. We'll say it again because I talked over your back. So. Oh, it's the Celluloid Fiends podcast. Celluloid Fiends. Yes. No one can beat your titles. Cup of Mo, <laughs> Celluloid Fiends. I mean, you've cornered the market. Uh, yeah, that one, uh, I, I, if when I came up with it, I was like, you know what? Everyone's going to know this is about cinema. And I think... Uh, over time, I've realized that's not necessarily the case because I get so many questions from people like, wait, what's celluloid? And I realized, okay, yeah, we've hit the streaming generation. You know, people barely even buy Blu-rays oh. anymore. So how can we expect people to know what celluloid is? You know, my four-year-old held up a DVD and asked me if it was a Frisbee. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I, I heard, you know, interestingly, I heard a similar story from one of my uh, co-working space friends a while back where um, one of one of his kids picked up a, a VHS tape and said to her younger sister, this is called a DVD. <laughs> that's that's savage. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard this uh, along the same lines, but they asked a bunch of like teenagers what the floppy disk icon was. They showed them a floppy disk and it says, oh, that means save. But why does why does it look like this? I think it's just the emoji for save. Oh right. no! Oh, this is this is tragic. Yeah, but to be fair, there's you know there's a bunch of old guys who are like you kids with your visual terminals. Get some punch cards and man up, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy just even thinking about the things that you know we experienced growing up and and how those have been phased out and and how even about the internet oh i, I mm. mean i remember the shared phone line with dial up and you know oh, trying yeah, to get online 
It was it was catastrophic. Oh, that was rough days. It was. Uh, I remember. Uh, you know, we don't even have to talk about CompuServe right now because it's, it's somehow CompuServe always comes up. It's dead. It's been dead for a long time. But like Dracula, it's always coming back. So I have a more relevant question to you since we've gone well off the rails. <laughs> Let's say you're a young person who would love to be, you know, the next Mo Long, the next Kara Swisher. You want to get into tech journalism, right? How the hell do you do that? You know, that is, that's a great question. Uh, and I think there are, I think the most important thing is write and write about what you love. Uh, and there are a number of ways you can do that. I think it's a, I think it's a good idea to try to reach out to various publications that you read on a regular basis and that you would want to write for and see if you can write for those. You can also find different places, uh, like Electromaker, uh, or if you're kind of writing in the programming space, um, dzone.com or dev.to, uh, dzone.com is actually where I, that was my first ever, um, paid and full time tech writing gig back in the day. Uh, so I, I very much, uh, credit that as kind of kickstarting my tech media career. Uh, and then the other thing I recommend doing though, in addition to that is, having a website of your own. And I think what that does is it shows that even if you don't have a ton of page views, uh, you know, for that, it showcases your portfolio and it shows that you're a self-starter and it kind of gives you an outlet to kind of create these projects that maybe you can't neatly fit into a pre-existing publication, but you can then kind of use that as a portfolio to send to various, uh, uh, publications when you're trying to establish kind of get your career kick started uh, and it also just kind of sets you up as as kind of a brand in a lot of ways i love it i love it all right so now things are going to get really intense i hope you're prepared i think i am i have two questions i always wrap up with one super easy what does your day-to-day setup look like in terms of, you know, technology, laptop, whatever? Oh, oh, this is going to be fun because uh, I, I love talking gear. Um, so my day-to-day setup is uh, I have a uh, a couple different laptops. I have like a, just an old ThinkPad that I have running Pop! OS. And then I have a Razer. I have to stop you right there. I have to stop you right there. Okay. Explain to me why everybody but me has a ThinkPad. You know, uh, so I, think, I just missed the memo. I mean, <laughs> uh, no, you, so you did not miss the memo, but I think a lot of people, especially like where, you know, in the circles we roll in where people are hardcore Linux buffs often use ThinkPads because there are so many different models. They've been around, for, they've been on the market for so long that you can pick up like a cheap refurb or, or used model as kind of just like a, sandbox PC, as I like to call them, sure. kind of play around with it. If you screw something up, you know, burn it to the ground and just reinstall your operating system. And also Linux compatibility is just phenomenal. So yeah. if, you know, if I ever need just like a, a cheapo PC, I can always just pick up a ThinkPad. So uh, I, I'm writing this review of Linux laptops for someone I know, right? And I know the first comment's going to be, well, you forgot the ThinkPad. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh yeah, no, that's one hundred percent going to be the the first comment. It's inevitable. <laughs> just just put like uh you know one through ten ThinkPad 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 System seventy six ThinkPad. I think I was just <laughs> I was just going to put it at the end. Oh, and by the way, forget forget the three hundred words you just read because the answer is really ThinkPad. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Which version doesn't matter. Uh, it, the ThinkPad version. <laughs> uh, Lenovo, IBM, it's all good. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but I have one of those uh, for my desk. Or, or uh, the other laptop that I have is a, I have a Razer Blade 15, and it's rocking an i7. I don't remember which one, and a 1660 Ti. And I got that for some kind of more intensive work, like video editing. And also uh, it handles VR pretty well. Uh, oh, nice. And I've got a, an HP desktop. Uh, I don't remember what line it is, but it's got a Ryzen 5 CPU and a 1060 GPU. Uh, for my monitor, I just got an LG ultrawide because I was using a single monitor. Uh, I'd been using dual monitors for a while and i i wanted additional screen real estate but kind of something condensed on my standing desk and that kind of provided the best of both worlds because i find especially yeah uh, (laughs) a lot a lot of different gear in here um but what i find is i just as you know writing and editing and juggling multiple windows i just have you know, constantly have to have uh, a bunch of different windows snapped. Yeah. Uh, for, is, is your primary distro pop on all of them or do you jump around? No, I jump around. Um, uh, as much as I love Linux, there's some things that I find run better on windows, uh, especially like I mentioned a moment ago, kind of the VR. Uh, I tend to find yeah. that VR just runs better on, on windows. And gaming in general, I think, is re- has made a lot of strides on uh, on Linux, and so I do a, a decent amount of Linux gaming. But um, when it comes to VR, I just I usually stick to my Windows machines. That sounds awesome. Okay, so here's the hard question: What should I have asked you that I failed to or forgot to ask you? Oh. Oh, I like this question. Uh, interestingly, this is whenever I interview people, uh, this is one of the questions that I like to ask because, uh, yeah, I, I always think it's interesting to hear <laughs> hear what people say. Um, so, uh, in this case, uh, I, I really liked all the questions you asked. Uh, something that you should have asked but didn't would maybe be why I. Uh, you know, chose to become a writer and, and, uh, uh, kind of what drew me to that space. Um, and it was just, I, I always enjoyed reading as a kid, uh, and always wanted to tell stories. And so even though a lot of the writing that I currently do is more tech focused, whether that's a tutorial or kind of a, a best, uh, one of those like buying guides, like you were just talking about there with that Linux laptops uh, piece and, and kind of more research based. I still always feel like even with the most technical of pieces, it should tell a story and some kind of coherent narrative for the audience member. 
and there should be, you know, like the the beginning, the middle of the intro and, and kind of uh, some sort of narrative throughout. Because I think that just lends cohesion, especially with complex topics, makes it easy to follow for readers. And often you can make that more entertaining as well and kind of add some personality in there. Oh, okay, Dr. Campbell, we have a hero's journey of tech articles. I like it. <laughs> okay, that's, you know what? I love it. I That's that's a great answer. So, Mo, um, we're going to put all your social media links into the show notes. But real quick, where can folks follow you on Twitter? You can follow me at Mitchell C. Long on Twitter. All uh, right, sounds good. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, that was it. I was just going to say thank you. Thank you for having me. It was, it was awesome to catch up, uh, especially in podcast format. Yeah, thank you for coming on and you're welcome on anytime. And uh, one day there will be another super fan event. I'm thinking 2037 at the rate Florida's going, but thank God you guys are <laughs> there, there at least in Colorado where things aren't as bad. Uh, but yeah, so one day, one day we will all see each other again. Maybe we could have a, in the meantime, like a hologram one where, where we could do a VR super fan event. Uh. <laughs> I think I should just wear <laughs> Yeah, let's do a VR event where everybody's just like, hey, don't don't let the Florida guy in because we've seen the numbers and we don't even want a digital signal from him. Like, <laughs> ooh, rough. Yeah. All right, yeah. man, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Bye. Bye.